verse 12 says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident into the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet I shall choose, uh, yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. Thank you, Lord. Please let your word speak joy and truth to our hearts this morning. Okay, I'll try not to make it a third time. So in verses 12 through 14, we've been in them for a, a couple weeks. Paul says in verse 12, so I want you to know, brethren, that what has happened to me has turned out for the furtherance, for the spread of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard, to all the Roman soldiers, and to all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. So he's writing to a people that there's such a beautiful love relationship that earlier we read there's actually pain in Paul's body when he's thinking about them. He loves them so much. He says, look it, don't feel sorry for me. Because I'm in this chain, and, and Bible scholars, most of them are in agreement, he's literally chained to a Roman soldier, not to a Pole, to a human being. 
He says, but don't um, feel sorry for me. Don't feel sorry for me because these chains are being used for the gospel to, to spread. Why did the gospel spread even though he was in chains? Because we gave two reasons. Number one, the power of the message of Jesus Christ. That Jesus lived, he died, he rose again for them. And there was a second reason the gospel had spread, and that was what? Joy. They saw joy in Paul. Word is used 16 times throughout the book of Philippians. It says in chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Even when you're chained to circumstances that anyone else would just be grieving in, miserable. And so they're seeing this life. And they're like, they're hearing the power of it. Roman soldiers, these guys were the palace guard. The, we read in the, that the, the, the message that Paul shared went right into the household of the emperor. That's Acts chapter 28. Why? Because it was the, the, these, the, the, these, these soldiers who had so much guilt and shame in their life, having witnessed everything that was going on in that household, and wow, that th th there's some wicked stuff that, that was going on in the household of, of Emperor Nero. Uh, but, but this was saying you can, all your sin, all your shame, it, it was paid for on the cross by Jesus Christ, and that blood but, uh, that was shed on the cross was a purchase price for your murder, your sexual perversion, your greed. And this was a liberating, powerful message. And so it spread. But it also spread because the, the one who was declaring this had joy even in his chains. And then it says in verse 14, and most of the brethren in the Lord, meaning other Christians, are becoming more confident by my chains. In other words, uh, the people in your life, when you are feeding off of Jesus Christ, he says, uh, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He who hungers and feeds on me will rejoice, will have happiness. People will see you. And other Christians in the church, in this church, will see you. And it will embolden them to go out for the Lord, enjoy spreading the faith, spreading the love. Verse 15 continues. It says, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife. So he's sort of changing subjects here. Some people are preaching about Jesus Christ out of envy and out of strife, meaning to just stir up things. And some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains. But the latter out of love, 
knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So what is he speaking about here? He's speaking about what's going on outside. He's, he's in some kind of prison, some kind of room. He's chained to a Roman soldier. He has joy in the Lord in it. He doesn't stop declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. The word is spreading, excitement is being created, and it says men who really were not being led by the Spirit of God, they were not being led by good motives. It says in verse 15, who were envious of the attention that Paul got, stirred up strife, stirred up just uh, confusion and, and arguing and bickering. Verse 16 says they had selfish ambition. They wanted to, they were seeing uh, this new movement of the Spirit of God. And it's like, wow, I want to I use this to draw people to, to me. And they started using it. Now, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Well, okay, we're just, just gonna gonna. I want to do a little explaining here before we move on. The Bible teaches that we live in a spiritual world. In addition to the life of the Spirit of God working in hundreds of millions of believers of Christ around the world, the Bible says there are angelic spirits, good and evil. Satan is one of them. He's a fallen angel. He, the Bible teaches he was cast out of heaven by God for rejecting God's authority. Since that time, Satan has waged a war to oppose the glory of God, which on the earth means, among other things, opposing the glory of God in the lives of you, believers of Christ, the church, and the spread of the gospel, opposing that the good news of the life-saving, life-giving, life-transforming work of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, Satan is described as the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 2 verse 2. One of the ways that Satan works in the sons of disobedience is anywhere there's a work of God, including that work that's going on in your life, <laughs> anywhere there's a work of God where the good news of Jesus is being lived out, declared, Satan comes up against that work with, among other things, a close counterfeit, meaning he will take what the church is saying, what a good church is saying, a church filled with spirit, use 95% of the truth, repeat 95% of the things that they're saying, but then he'll add 5% that's lies, twist it, and he'll use that to oppose the work of God. Or he will simply use 100% of the truth, but he'll, he'll, he'll take men and women, sons and daughters of disobedience, who will use it for their own Selfish ambition. That's what he does. And that, that's precisely what's ha what happened when the work of God began to spread in Rome. 
when because of Paul's chains and the prevailing power of the word of God and his joy, it began to spread right into the household of the emperor, it says in Acts 28. There were men, the book of Ephesians again calls them sons of disobedience, stirring up things to oppose it, ministries, saying this is the church of Jesus Christ. But their objective, it says, was not the love of God. It says in verse 16, it was self, selfish ambition. Again, it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Verse 15, though, again says, some indeed, indeed preached Christ out of envy and strife. Verse 16 says, um, but some out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my change. Selfish ambition. In our study of the book of Galatians, in chapter 5, verse 20, selfish ambition is listed as one of the works of the flesh that every single one of you has in your heart. And oh, do I have it in mine. Every single human being, it's the work of the flesh, that tries to just take control. Selfish ambition. Please pray for me, by the way, Calvary Chapel, that I would refuse any place for selfish ambition in my life. Selfish ambition in a pastor, a religious leader, Men and women in the congregation are tools for his or her success. But if love is the motive, the love of God is the motive. Men and women in the church are blood-bought men and women made in the image of God who, wants, who the Lord wants to use for his glory. Would you be willing to pray for me this week? that that would have no part in my life. Would you be willing to do that? Yeah, I gotcha. But that, that's what was happening here. Um, it was controlling these men, these sons of disobedience. They didn't like the attention Paul was getting. They wanted the, they wanted the attention. It says they preached Christ out of envy. It's highly likely that they had a financial motive as well because in religious settings, um, guilt... To give is a big, big deal, and especially when the Bible says specifically the people of God should be giving. They should be tithing. They should be, be giving their first fruits, and, and, and men and women with selfish ambition get a hold of all that, and, they, and, and so financial gain becomes a motive, and so very active today as well. Um, Satan opposing um, the real work of God by close counterfeits, but anyway... Um, uh, here, what, what is Paul's reaction to this? What is Paul's reaction to all this that is going on? He mentions it twice. What did it? What was it? N nice and loud. Bless you. Mentions it twice. He rejoiced. Sound familiar? He rejoiced. Verse 18, 
What then? He's speaking of his response to these people, speaking out of envy, out of selfish ambition. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense, meaning faking it, or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. He rejoiced. Joy. Why is the Lord concerned about your joy? Someone shout it out. Who was here last week or if you know it, shout it out. Why is God concerned about your joy? Why is he way more concerned that you have joy? And by that, I, I'm, the, the distinction some people use between joy and happiness is nowhere in the Bible. Why is he concerned about your happiness? That's, that's the, the joy of the Lord's our strength. There's, there, there's, a, there, there's, a read in, uh, there's another reason that is more central to Scripture. We talked about it last week. Because through it, God is glorified. God is always seeking out his glory. And he is relentlessly with, with passion that only God can have, seeking after his own glory. And when you are happy in circumstances that anyone, anyone else in the world would be like miserable in it, God is glorified. Because as people observe you, like, okay, I need to take this God. That God is so, he's concerned about your joy. First Peter chapter um, 1 verse 8 says, Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Meaning you're attracting attention, not to yourself, but to your God. Next verse. It should be a memory verse for everyone, very easy. This is God speaking. Everyone who is called by my name, I have created for my glory. By the end of Philippians, you're going to get this, I promise you. Next verse. God is most glorified when you are most joy-filled in him. So Paul, no doubt, he's been lied about, spoken against by these men. These men preaching out of selfish ambition. It says at the end of verse 16 that one of their motivations was to aggravate and antagonize Paul while he was in chains. It says they, they seek at the end of verse 16, it says they seek or supposed to add affliction to my chains. Nevertheless, verse 18 says, he rejoices anyway. Why? Because though it may be for bad motives, Christ is being preached. We have a number of folks in this church. They came to faith in Jesus Christ in cults or ministries which had really bad teaching. That's what Paul is talking about here. That's why he's rejoicing. People are coming to the Lord. We pray, Lord, bring them to Christ and get them out of there quick. Uh, but, but, but he's rejoicing in it. And at least people are coming to Christ. The point 
though, is he's able to rejoice even while under attack from these folks, even knowing people were out preaching about Jesus for outrageous, selfish reasons. He rejoiced in it. We talked about him having last week having joy in chains. Well, here, he's having joy even though he was being verbally attacked. Now, you read about these attacks throughout Paul's letters. One of the favorite was this guy, Paul, doesn't, he's not official. He, he doesn't have a seminary degree. This is what Calvary Chapel pastors get all the time. They didn't go to any seminary. Never mind that uh, Steve Cole had nine years of training under Calvary Chapel pastor. He doesn't have that degree. We get that. We, we, we get those uh, kind of same things, but they were saying of Paul, they said he, uh, uh, they, they said of Paul, he, he, he's not an official Jerusalem guy. And that was one of the things uh, that they said about him, uh, that type of thing. But nevertheless, he rejoiced. Why? Because God is being glorified. Because Jesus Christ, the word is going out. Now, I don't know about you. There is hardly a more difficult circumstance for me to rejoice in than when someone is spreading lies about me. Talking me and talking about me in order to undermine me, to make me look bad, which is a big issue, Calvary Chapel, when a pastor is lied about to someone in the church and that someone who is lied to shows up, are they gonna believe anything I say? It's a big issue. That's why the Lord has a lot to say about divisive people. It says, warn a divisive person one time, second time, have nothing to do about it, nothing to do with them. Titus chapter three, verse three. It's a big issue, but I gotta tell you, when it's happening to me, I can't do that. Rejoice, you're kidding me. No way, I can't do that. Remember what I shared last week from Romans 14. This is right before Jesus' crucifixion. A woman came having in an alabaster flask a very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on its head. It was 300 days. 300 days wages was the cost. And they looked at her, the other disciples, and said, why has this perfume been wasted? What was Jesus' response? She's done a good, this is Jesus speaking, she's, Mark 14, verse 6 and 9, she's done a good work for me. Surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Hardly a greater expression of love for God in the Bible than what this woman does here. And again, I hope you read this. With Jesus' reaction, this woman pouring out perfume on him, it's, how can I do that, Lord? How can I pour costly perfume, perfume on your head? How can I love you like this in such a way that you are blessed, you are pleased like you were with this woman, and what did I say? How can I, how can I bless you, Lord? What I say last week, you will pour out perfume on the head of Jesus Christ himself, you're being lied to, or if you're being lied about, or someone is just stabbing you in the back and making you look bad, but you pursue joy with God anyway. 
Not like shaking your fist at God, how can you let this happen? I've served you all these years. No. God doesn't get glory in that. No one's going to look at you and go, I want to follow that person's God if you're behaving like that. But when you pursue joy, choosing joy, knowing that it glorifies the Lord, knowing that it pleases the Lord, knowing that the Lord is looking at you, anytime you have joy in those circumstances, the Lord is right there with you, rejoicing with you and before you and more than you. And so when you're in chained to circumstances, if Paul was chained to a Roman soldier, some of you are chained to circumstances that are just, anyone else would be miserable and maybe you're miserable right now or, or someone's lying about you. What do you do? You go to the Jesus Christ, the bread of life. John chapter six, again, we read this last week. Jesus said to them, he says to you, to every one of you this morning, this is what he's saying to every one of you this morning, I am the bread of life. Yo soy el pan de vida. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now, we talked about this at communion. When you haven't eaten in a long time, and you show up somewhere to eat, and there's this incredible spread of food, you're not allowed to answer if you were there Friday night. What's your reaction when you start eating? What are you feeling? Your joy, you're happy. You're like, this is incredible. Happiness. Look, can I have the verse again? Can I have the verse again? And, and, and I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. You're happy. You go to the Lord. Even when they're lying about you. And you're finding happiness in Christ. You're finding happiness in Christ. Listen, as, as important as anything that I can do for this church, it's to lead you to a place of happiness in Christ. Say, are you, are, are you sure, like a pastor, saying that? I mean, I thought religious people were supposed to walk around like that's ridiculous. Just read a little further. You guys, listening when you we all read verse twenty-five, Philippians one. Read it together. Paul says, and being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. Yeah, I walk by faith. I walk by faith. I walk by faith. I'm like a faith guy. I don't walk by feeling. I walk by faith. You have joy? Because if you don't, Boasting is in vain. You shouldn't be boasting like that anyway, but you just repeat that. And being confident of this, verse 25, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy 
of faith. As we continue this study through the book of Philippians, of joy, I think supremely, there's a whole list that I've written out over the years of why I can be rejoice even though I'm chained to a smelly, mean, ugly behaving Roman soldier. Number one, always. I can have joy, I can be happy because I know it makes God happy. But I'm in no circumstances. But there's a host of other reasons. Paul gives another one when he's being lied about. When you're being lied to, Calvary Chapel, rejoice. When you're being, I should say, when you're being lied about, when someone is making up stuff about you, you all know this verse, 2 Corinthians um, chapter 12, verse 10. I take pleasure. I rejoice in what? In infirmities and in reproaches. What's that? When I'm being insulted. When I'm being lied about. Reproaches. When people are talking trash about me. It says, I take pleasure in that, in needs and persecutions and distressions. Why? For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, what does that mean? There, I, I, I don't know about you, but I got to tell you, when someone starts spreading stuff about me, it doesn't happen that often, but it absolutely does from time to time, I, I feel completely helpless. Jesus says I'm supposed to more or less except maybe straighten, it, straighten things out with a few people. I'm supposed to keep my mouth shut, like he did before Pilate and the Jewish tribunal. It says he didn't an- answer a word, all the f- um, false accusations. We can't running around the people. Did you hear this? No, it's not true. Uh, did you hear this? No, it's not true. Did, you'll exhaust yourself. And so you feel completely helpless. And I remember walking on the beach. Uh, 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 there, there was a time walking on the beach. I was I'm down visiting my parents, and I was in Miami. And uh, there was, you know, I'm in one of these seasons, and the Lord brought this to me, this verse. And I tell you, the, just the, the flood of joy that came into my heart. Can I have it again, um, Heather? It says, I take pleasure in reproaches. Why? Because you're helpless. End of the the verse says, because when I am weak, then I can be strong. Okay, I'm helpless. Lord, do your thing. You take care of this. And he did, of course. Why do I freak out every other time since then when, when something's being said about me that's not true and I have to go back to the Lord and feed off the bread of life in order to respond to it? Verse 19, let's continue. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So somehow it says in that verse that these other people that are uh, preaching lies about him, somehow that's going to contribute to him, his deliverance. I think the deliverance, the word deliverance here, may refer to his death, where he gets to be face to face with Jesus Christ. Remember, and down there in verse 21, it says, for me to... Uh, uh, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, and his deliverance ultimately, it's to die. 
And maybe these people spreading false gospel, uh, people though being saved, the emperor gets paranoid. We got to put this guy to death. Paul's delivered. Your death is your deliverance, Calvary Chapel. You're going to be face to face with Jesus when that happens. Verse 20, we, uh, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, we covered verse 20 um, with great specificity two weeks ago. You can listen to that message. It says, according to my earnest expectation and hope, meaning I'm passionate, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, meaning in these, in these chains or anyone lying about me, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified. What's another word for magnified? Glorified in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is Gain. To live is Christ. To live is Christ, Calvary Chapel. There is a sweetness and a joy that I have in my life with Jesus Christ. Live is Christ. Means to find Jesus in every circumstance. Paul found him right there. Chained to a Roman soldier, being lied about. About four years ago, I was here at a Sunday service. The service ended, and I came. Uh, Stephanie came to me, my wife, and said her father was on 90% life support and that he had died twice. They bought him back from death two times. He had been out fishing just two days before put his leg in the water, he was a big fisher guy, threw out to get bait, that's what real fishing guys do, they, get, they fish for the bait and then they fish for the real thing. And he had a small cut on his foot and he contra contracted the Vibrio virus, anyone know that? Flesh-eating bacteria, usually got 24 hours to live. Within 24 hours, they had amputated his leg. 24 hours. Nasty, nasty virus. His body was covered with black splatches. My son Sam came to me and goes, wow, Grandpa's going to die. And I was walking home. And I made an oath with the Lord. You bring him back. I will go down there. Face to face, I will tell him. He needs to let go of this idol in his life, fishing. Fishing. 
completely idolized it. Idolatry. And I'll say that to him. I'll tell him about Jesus Christ. You bring him back. Later that day, got news. 90% life support to 80%. And I was like, okay, Lord, I know what's going on. And then it went to 50, then he was off life support. Stephanie went down there for, I think she was gone for a few weeks by his bedside. They rotated. He was completely unconscious. He was uh, intubated for a month, two months, however long it was. And uh, then he got off that, became conscious, started reading with him the book of John. And uh, he came home, and the Lord started knocking on my door. Remember what you gave me an oath about? Aye. So we waited. I think we waited a whole year. It took a, a while to the timing was right. And I said, Stephanie, I, I got to go down. I got to share this. Wow, was that a fight. He was not happy. Have her permission to share this. I mean, this was the last huge fight. We did not sleep in the same room that night. That happens to pastors and pastor's wife, you know, because of arguments. My, gr my father-in-law, when I met Stephanie, he's president, he's president of a mortgage bank. He was a CEO. You didn't cross a CEO. You just didn't do that. He was in control. He was a real nice guy. So you crossed him. And so uh, he was absolutely not a Christian. He uh, hadn't been going to, he hadn't been in church at this time for probably 12 or 13 years. He had always wanted to be a deacon earlier on in his life. And uh, I asked the pastor once why he was not a deacon. He said, because anytime the weather was good for fishing, he was gone. He wasn't at church. Not going to make him a deacon. And so uh, I called my pastor, Pastor Robert, in Miami Beach, and uh, I said, Robert, what am I going to do? I, uh, my wife, uh, Stephanie, she, <laughs> she's not happy about this, but I made an oath with the Lord. I said, made an oath with the Lord. You've got to do it. You've got to go down there. And so we went down there, and... Um, we sat down with him. Again, he's his right leg amputated. And uh, he actually showed us a picture of a boat he was thinking about getting. I sat down with him and he said, look, I said, look, you know, I, I, uh, I get it. You, you want to get out in that, that boat and understandable, but. I want to tell you something that fishing has been an idol in your life. Jesus Christ has not been the most important thing to you. 
and said, you haven't been to church 10 or 12 years. And at that point, his wife interrupted. She goes, wait a second, that's my fault. And he said, no, honey, you be quiet. This is me. He's right. I need to take responsibility for what I've done. And I just gave him the gospel. And I'm telling you what happened to this man. And this is a man who was very wealthy. If anyone didn't deserve to go to, uh, to, to, to live his life and at the end of his life receive the gospel, it was him. He ignored the Lord. All the jokes about whatever during his whole life. And, 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 and if anyone didn't deserve it, it was him. And, 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 but but he, he, the Lord had already been working on him. Stephanie had already been, uh, had been sharing the gospel. He had been um, looking at, uh, I believe at that time, he'd been looking at videos from uh, uh, Calvary Chapel in Albuquerque. And, 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 uh, and, and so within one year, Stephanie gets a call and, and she said, and, and he, from her dad. And her dad said, honey, listen, I just finished reading the whole Bible. The point that I'm saying here is, is the Lord will use the worst circumstances. The Bible says to live is Christ, to die is gain. And sometimes the Lord will use the worst circumstances in your life. You've got to see the Lord in it. What does it mean to to live as Christ. It means in every circumstance, doesn't matter if your father's being eaten away in a 24-hour period, you gotta rejoice in it, Lord, you're doing something here. You're doing something here, Lord. That's what it means, what, what Paul means when he says to live is Christ. And then he says to die to die is gain. Now, I've already heard that twice. I heard it in worship. Uh, I heard this in worship, and I heard it before. I think David Blades and the announcement said, uh, we, we read this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. It says, for now we see as through a mirror in darkness, but then we shall see face to face. That was in worship, right? And in a song, and I think David Blades or someone mentioned it before him. To die is gain. We have a difficult time looking and understanding who God is in his fullness. Do we get to feast on what we have now he's given us? Absolutely we do. But we now see as in a mirror in the dark, you're looking. But then we will see Jesus face to face. The Bible says to live is Christ, but to die, it's even better. It's more than that. Think about um, what we were in Galatians chapter 5. It says the flesh lusts against the spirit. And we have to live in these bodies. It outlines what the flesh is there in Galatians in chapter 5. It's an ugly list there. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, hatred, contention, jealousy. Jealousy is all going through our mind. It's not going to be like that anymore. To die is gain. We're going to be face to face with Jesus. We're going to have, uh, be out of these bodies, these temporary tents with the Lord. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Some of you may be thinking, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come up at this time. 
man, I am not there. I want to be there. How do I get there where I, 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 I actually am at the point where I see death as a great thing, as something to look forward to? How do I get there? And the answer is really simple. Really simple. I picked this up from, I think, J, is it J.C. Myers? F.B. Myers. F.B. Myers? I think it's F.B. Myers. Anglican pastor from the earliest 20th century. He, he just said, it's so simple. It's just living, it's, it's, it's doing this verse. It's living your life where you understand that to live is Christ. Meaning, when you... W- w- when, you live, when your life is, is Jesus Christ, when that's who, what your life is, your life is Jesus Christ, meaning um, thinking about Jesus, talking to Jesus Christ, um, talking about Jesus Christ, obeying Jesus Christ, and that's your very life. The more your life is all about that, the more you will be thinking to die It's not something I fear. To die is going to be absolutely amazing. (laughs) Then you will be able to say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So let's rise for our closing worship song. You've been asked to pray. Please come up. If the Lord is stirring your heart in any way, if you want you have a circumstance and you're having difficult seeing Jesus in it. When Paul says to live as Christ, that means every circumstance in his life, he sees it and says, I don't see it, but I know Christ is in it because to live is Christ. If you're having difficulty in a circumstance seeing Jesus in it, come on up. Or if you've never made Jesus Christ your life. The Bible says that every human being who rolled out of their mother's womb came in with rebellion in their heart in the form of, I don't want God as my God, I want I as my God. No matter how cute that little baby looks, that's what's in their heart. And when it grows up, it looks real ugly. The Bible says that rejecting God, says the wrath of God is over that person. And since every single person rolls into this world in that way with rebellion in their heart, the wrath of God over the world, the Bible says. God didn't create the world only to leave it up to our best guess to figure out who he is. He sent his son to live for you, die for you because you deserve death and hell. He died and experienced death and hell for you. And then he rose from the dead after three days. 
That's who Jesus Christ is. I did not give my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord until my early 20s, even though I'd been going to different churches most of my life. Maybe you've never done that. The Bible says, I stand at the door of your heart and knock, meaning Jesus Christ. Stand. Jesus says, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. Anybody who opens, I will come in and I will dine with him. What does that mean? It means he'll eat with you. What does that mean? It means not religion, but relationship. There's only one requirement, though. You believe he's the son of God, that he died for your sin, but you make him your Lord. And this is where many people fall short. They invite him in, but he's not their Lord. Jesus said himself, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, many will say in the last day, Lord, Lord, but they will not enter the kingdom of heaven because they did not do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is to make Jesus everything, unconditional surrender. If you've never done that, come up. I'll pray with you. It's a simple prayer of faith. You've got to count the cost before you do it, though. You've got to understand what you're doing. But let's, pr- let's worship now. If you'd like to pray, come up. Otherwise, otherwise you can be worshiping. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would do your work for the remainder of the service.